good to see everyone. It is good to be back. So um, Jennifer and I just have returned from a trip to Israel, to the Holy Land, and we got back on Tuesday, so my sleep schedule is still a little off. I woke up at like 5.30 this morning, so um, I'll try not to start yawning. Y'all are good this service now. By the end of next service, I'm probably going to be yawning a little bit, ready for a nap. Uh, Sunday afternoons are great nap days, aren't they? It's good to, to relax. So we get to start a brand new sermon series today um, called Walking with Jesus, Lessons from the Holy Land. Now, we had planned this way back earlier in the year. Jennifer and I were able to go to Israel in April for a 12-day trip. Uh, I had a couple of pastor friends of mine that they had had a trip scheduled, uh, and it was a church from Abingdon and a church for Le from Lebanon, Virginia. And they had had this trip scheduled before, you know, right during COVID and it had been delayed a few times uh, because of that. And they had a few people back out and they said, hey, we've got some extra spots if you're interested in going. It worked out with our schedule. So we signed up to go on this trip in April. Incredible. Uh, just absolutely incredible. We got to see so many things. It was a longer trip. So we got to go a lot of places. We walked a lot. It was kind of a younger group. We went everywhere. Uh, it was just amazing. And then unexpectedly, um, when our friend and, and, and missionary partner, Don Gillette from Nicaragua, he had planned to lead a trip uh, this fall to uh, the Holy Land. And he had had a group, and it had been delayed a few times because of COVID as well. Uh, and then he got sick back in uh, end of June, uh, start first part of July, and he called me and said, hey, I'm not going to be able to go. Would you and Jennifer go and lead a trip for me? So we ended up going back to Israel a second time, completely kind of unexpected, uh, with a group where we really didn't know anybody on the trip, but just a couple of people on the trip. Um, but we had another trip uh, this last week, um, and it was we kind of had a rough start. We had a couple of flights canceled, and we're a day late getting there. Uh, but it was, again, just an amazing experience. And I share that just because I feel like um, this was something that really had not been on my, my radar much in life. Like I, It wasn't like I thought, like, hey, I want to go. But when the opportunity presented itself, we prayed about it, felt like God was leading us, and I'm so, so glad we did. Um, it's one of those things that it really, it's such a cliche that it changes the way you read the Bible, but I'm telling you, it really, really does. And so we've already had quite a few people ask us, so when are we going as a church, right? Can we get our, our own church trip together? And we are thinking about that, praying about it. If we do, it would be 2024, okay? So we need some time uh, to get it together, to raise money if you're going because it's not a cheap trip. Um, but we are at least thinking and praying about taking a group in 2024. So if that's something you're interested in as we go through this series, let us know. And we'll kind of add you to a list and kind of keep you in the loop on that. So um, we, um, the goal of this series, um, we're going to start a series. We're going to do this. I, the plan right now is for eight weeks to kind of each week take a site, a place, uh, a biblical place from the Holy Land and talk about it and learn from it, and then dive into Scripture um, and see what the Bible has to say. 
Um, so each week, here's what I'm going to do in order to help you understand where Jesus lived and where he walked and where he taught and where he healed. We're going to show a video at the start to kind of show some of the, uh, the sites and places and explain uh, the story. Then I'm going to kind of dive into the scripture. And then at the end, I want to share a, a video that I recorded kind of on location in Israel uh, to, to close out. So uh, with that being said, we're going to start off this morning, and I want to show you um, some, some places from the, the childhood of Jesus. Israel, the Holy Land. Everyone says that you will never read the Bible the same way again, and it's true. As you see the places where Jesus lived and walked and taught, it transports you back to the first century. They call this land the fifth gospel. Here you can see Jesus' life and many familiar stories through a new perspective. And as we go through this series, our goal is to bring the Bible to life, to walk with Jesus as we learn together how to truly be a disciple of Jesus. Each week we will look at different places and sites from the Holy Land as we study the scriptures together. There's an old saying that you can't stay the same and go with God. And as we look at the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus was not afraid of transitions throughout his life. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a small town about five miles from Jerusalem. It's a city today that's in the West Bank. And when the nation of Israel was founded, Bethlehem was around 80% Christian. Now it's less than 12% Christian and declining rapidly. It's also the site of one of the oldest churches in the world. When the Roman Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity, his mother, Helena, she went to the Holy Land and established churches throughout the land, marking the places of significant sites in the life of Jesus. And this was around the year 325 AD. But Jesus grew up in a place called Nazareth, a village in the region of Galilee. And it was a small, small town. It was probably less than about 400 people. And that's where Jesus grew, as the Bible says, in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and among all people. His earthly father, Joseph, was a builder. And as Jesus grew, we read that he taught in the temple in Jerusalem. And then he went to visit John the Baptist near Jericho. After this, he quickly announced the start of his ministry at the synagogue in Nazareth, where he was condemned and ran out of town. Near Nazareth, we find a cliff called today the, the Mount Precipice. It's a cliff overlooking the city, and from here you can see all the way to Mount Carmel, where Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal. It also overlooks the Jezreel Valley, where many battles were fought during the Old Testament times. It's the mountain that is thought of in Luke chapter 4, where the leaders took Jesus to throw him off of the cliff. But from here, we see Jesus made a huge change in his life. He left the comfortable his hometown, the place where everyone knew him, and he established his ministry in Capernaum, about 40 miles away and located on the Sea of Galilee. This was a busy city full of people traveling and trading. It was also a border town, so taxes were collected here. It's where Jesus called Andrew and Peter, James and John, and the tax collector Matthew to come and follow him to make them fishers of men. In Capernaum, we see the ruins of a first fourth century synagogue built on top of the ruins of the first century synagogue. They've also found the ruins of an ancient church that is thought to be built on the side of Peter's home. This is the place where so many miracles were performed, and it's a special place even today. 
But Jesus had to leave the comfortable, his hometown, the place where everyone knew him, and he stepped out to fulfill God's plan for us. So what is holding us back from following God's call on our life? Let's jump into God's word this morning to learn more. So, that's kind of a, your introduction for this morning. It's a little weird for me to stand up here and listen to myself talk, but I couldn't think of a, a, a better way to, to show uh, the, some slides where I wasn't doing just a, a kind of a PowerPoint slide presentation. Now, let's look at this and let's look at this. So, that's your introduction. So, let's kind of build out a timeline this morning um, and kind of help you get a, a feel for when the events in the Bible took place, how they took place. So let's start from the beginning, build a timeline for Jesus. The angel announced to Mary, we think that was in Nazareth, that she would give birth to a baby. Now they, they would say there in Nazareth that that is the start of the, in, uh, of the incarnation, of Jesus becoming flesh when Mary became pregnant with Jesus there in Nazareth. Then they had to travel to Bethlehem for the census, and that's where Jesus is born. At eight days old, they went to the temple in Jerusalem to dedicate Jesus. And so Bethlehem to Jerusalem was a short walk. From Nazareth to Bethlehem was a much longer walk. Um, and so then they probably went back to Bethlehem, we think. And to, when you look at um, the dates and times, it gets a little confusing. Uh, we always, I guess, we just assume that the year zero is when Jesus was born, right? Zero the, in the, the year of our Lord. But when they actually uh, set the calendar, that was about 600 years later, and they messed up, <laughs> okay? Um, imagine that. Um, and so really, we think Jesus was born about 6 B.C., um, and so the reason that's important, uh, when Herod had all the babies two years old and under killed, we kind of think that means that the wise men showed up uh, somewhere about two years later. So they showed up around 4 B.C. And, in, uh, there, and then we know that they had to flee to Egypt. Um, and then around that time, as they were fleeing, uh, from history tells us that King Herod the Great died about 4 B.C. So somewhere 3, 4 B.C. is when he died. And so they were able to return. Um, and then they returned not to Bethlehem, but they returned to their hometown of Nazareth. And then we don't really know a lot about the childhood of Jesus, do we? We know that they would travel to Jerusalem for the feast, like any Jewish family. There are multiple times each year they would travel down to Jerusalem. Uh, it was about a two-week trip from Nazareth to Jerusalem. So this is not uh, just a hey, let's walk across the ridge and over the you know over the hills and through the river and, and get there. This is a two-week trip. It was a significant journey. Um, even today by car, it's like an hour, hour and a half drive between the two places. And with traffic, it's a lot more. But you see, this is, this, we, that's really all we know. We know one time he was in Jerusalem and Jesus was teaching at the temple. And the parents, it makes me feel a little bit better as a parent, that they actually left Jesus there and didn't realize it. Have any of y'all ever left your kids somewhere? We have. So... Um, it's a lot easier than you think when you're both driving separate and, yeah, when you get that phone call, like, your kid is still here. Are y'all here? And we're like, um, no. Um, but Joseph and Mary did it too. So um, 
they left him in the temple. They come back and he was teaching. And so we know that. And then we know that he was growing up. We see this in Luke chapter 2 when they come back to the temple. He says, why did you need to search? All right. Um, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. And then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. And then verse 52 is really the, the most significant verse we have about the childhood of Jesus. That Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with all the people. So that's really all we know about the childhood of Jesus. So what do we know about Nazareth? Uh, we know that the disciple Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? I love that they're sarcastic even, even in Bible times. Right? They're, they're making fun of Nazareth. And he's like, can anything good come out of this place? Why did he say that? Well, here's really why. Because at that time, anything of spiritual significance had to come out of Jerusalem. It's where the temple was. That's where the religious leaders were. That's where everything was centered there. When you get up to Galilee, the, the area of Galilee, this was, let, let's just say this was the backwoods, right? We can relate. This is out of, out of the, the, the busyness. This is in the middle of nowhere. This is not where you would expect the Savior of the world to come from. And not only that, Nazareth was like a working class town, right? Um, it, was a, it, was not like, it was not like the, the rich people did not live in Nazareth. This was a small town. They believe at the time of Jesus that it was less than 400 people. Now think about that. If you live in a, a town of 400 people, you're going to know everybody. Everybody's going to know you, right? That's going to be, that's, that's a pretty significant fact for us to remember. Also, just right outside of Nazareth was a huge stone quarry. And, and, and not far from that was a, a city called Sephoris or Zippora uh, today. And that was a place where uh, they were building a, a huge Roman city. Uh, and they were kind of, and they were building it there near Nazareth. And the reason they chose that location is Nazareth was known for its stonemasons. So Nazareth was a town that was known for its builders. Now, what's interesting is if I asked you what did uh, Jesus's father do, what would you say? He was a carpenter, right? That's what we've always learned. Well, what's interesting is when we got there, they're like, well, in the Greek, it, the word is not carpenter. It was tecton, which is a builder, uh, uh, someone that builds things. And they're like, we don't really build things out of wood here. And you look, and there's not many trees there. And the trees that are there are fruit trees that they don't cut down. What do they build out of? In first century, even today, they build out of stone. And so they said Jesus and Joseph, uh, Joseph and then G they were most likely stonemasons. I thought that was interesting. It kind of came from a, a translation, you know, uh, when they got translated from the Greek into English, uh, they, tr they chose to translate that word builder as carpenter. And we just automatically assume it's somebody that works with wood. But Nazareth was known for its stonemasons and to be a town full 
of builders. So that kind of, when you think about that, then you start reading, right? It's kind of interesting to me when he says the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, right? You read that, it start, and you see how much he talks about building and, and stones, and it really, we're living stones, and it starts putting it into perspective a little bit, why he talks so much about construction, about stones, about buildings. Even in Acts where he says, this is Jesus is a stone that you rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. There's salvation in no one else, for there is no under name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. And so that's what we know about Nazareth this morning. So let's move into the story I want to focus on and let's kind of see what we can pull out of this today. Here's the first point I want to share and it's this, it's obedience often will force us to choose between friends and faithfulness. If we want to be obedient to what God is calling us to do, often we're going to be faced with a choice. We're going to be faced with this, uh, this inner conflict that we've got to choose. Jesus left Nazareth to go see his cousin John the Baptist, and he was baptized in the Jordan River near Jericho. Now, this was a, a, about 100 miles away. Uh, think about that, a 100-mile journey in that day and time. Then Jesus was tempted in the Judean wilderness. And one of the weeks, uh, we'll show you some pictures from the Jordan River. We'll show you some pictures from the Judean wilderness later. Uh, but that's where he was for 40 days when he was tempted. Then he returned back to Nazareth. And we pick it up in Luke chapter 4. And it says this, then Jesus returned to Galilee. This is after he was baptized by John the Baptist. This was after he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. And so at this point, right, Jesus had a good reputation among the people that he grew up with. He was praised. They're like, this guy, he knows his stuff. He's smart. We see that God is with him. And maybe they had even heard reports about him and what had happened at the Jordan River and the, the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And maybe they had heard about this. Maybe they had heard that he went out into the wilderness and, and, and he returned. And, and, they, and he was teaching at this point. Now, it said he was teaching in the, the synagogues. I want to show a map up here just to give you a little bit of perspective um, the Sea of Galilee, can I just tell you, it's not a sea, it's a lake, okay? It, it's, a, it's, it's a lake, it's about 13 miles from top to bottom, about 8 miles wide at the widest point. Um, Nazareth, is, and that's not a real high resolution map, but it's in the lower left-hand corner. Um, to get from Nazareth to where he's going in the, the region of Galilee, there were synagogues at Capernaum. There was another synagogue real near there at a place called Magdala that they found the ruins of both of those places. Uh, there was Chorazin and Bethsaida on the north shore uh, of the Sea of Galilee. And so all of these places, right, were places that Jesus went through. And if you notice, there's a, a white line from top to bottom that's the Via Maris, uh, also known as the International Trunk Route. It was the main trading route from Egypt to Syria. So in other words, people were constantly traveling up and down this area. Nazareth is in the middle of nowhere. 
Um, and so Jesus was going from Nazareth in the middle of nowhere to where everybody was, and that's where he was teaching. And then we pick up the story in verse 16. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath. He stood up and he read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll. He found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So he rolled up the scroll. He handed it back to the attendant. He sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. And then he began to speak to them. The scripture that you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. I love this passage. It's so cool to think about this. This mic drop moment with Jesus. He's in the synagogue of his boyhood home, right? They're already been impressed with his knowledge, with his teaching. They're seeing how God is using him. He stands up and reads this very familiar passage in Isaiah that is speaking about the Messiah that is to come. And he reads it and he just sits down and says, hey, you know what that's written about? It's written about the Messiah. That's fulfilled today because I am he, right? That's me. That's what you're reading. And so they now were faced with this huge, right, this choice that they had to make. Do we believe him? Can we trust this guy? He's the same guy that we've grown up with. We've built houses with him. We've played with him, right? We learned together in the, here in the, in the local synagogue. We, we hung out. Again, Nazareth is a small town. Everybody knew everybody. And he just, did, he just did this, right? And, you know, you think about this. As Jesus sat in this, this synagogue, he looked around. He knew everybody there, and they all knew him. So how would they respond? And, and so uh, you, you think about this. This is the same Jesus they had just been hanging out with. And now he's telling them this huge new piece of information. And it said... Um, Verse 22, everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. And they said, how can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? They're like, wait, we, we like this guy. We know him. We've been around him. But how can we trust him? Right? We know him, but this is Joseph's son. We, we know who he is. This is not God in the flesh. This is not Messiah. This is not the political ruler that's going to come and overthrow the, the Roman government that we've been waiting on. This is Jesus from Nazareth. And then he said, you will undoubtedly quote this proverb, physician, heal yourself, and meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in, in Israel in, in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And, and many in, in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman of Syria. And he, he, he's telling them this and they're like, what? You know, what, what are you trying to, to tell us here? And then they finally, it kind of clicked. He's like, 
You're telling that, that you've come, but you're, you've not really come for us. You've come for everyone else, and, and we don't understand. And then it says in verse 28, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were, fur were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the city was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. And what's interesting here is... Nazareth is built on a hillside, and right beside it is another hillside with a cliff. I love it when you read the Bible and you go and you see things line up exactly like it talks about. That, that hill today is called Mount Precipice, and it's the place, it's the only cliff there, and it overlooks, uh, you saw the pictures, it overlooks the Jezreel Val Valley, it looks, and you see Mount Tabor right in front of you, and in the distance, Mount Carmel, and uh, you, you have this panoramic view on one side, Nazareth, and then you turn around the other side, it just opens up, and you see all of Israel. And there's a, a steep cliff right there, and so we think, that is that's most, I mean, according to scripture, that's where they took Jesus. They were going to throw him off the cliff and he just casually walks on out and, and, and walks away. And so in the end, here's what we see. Jesus in his own hometown, he was rejected by the very people that knew him the most. And I'm going to be honest here and I'm going to stretch this even further and, and, and I would say it's not just his friends that rejected him. I think it was also his family that rejected him. In a town of 400 people, you're related to other people in that town. Amen? They, they knew him. These were his relatives, his brothers, his cousins, and all these people. They're looking at him and they're like, dude, we, we want to like you. You're a good guy, but I don't know about it. I, this just doesn't make sense. And and so the, if he's going to be thrown off a cliff, that means everybody has turned against him at this point. And so Jesus was familiar with rejection. Even from the start of his ministry, we see it at the end of his ministry too. He was familiar with rejection. And so here's what I would say to that. If you want to be obedient to God, sometimes we will have to choose between friends and faithfulness. There are going to be times that your friends are going to be pulling you back. There are going to be times your friends are going to say, hey, you can't do that. Don't you know where you're from? Don't, don't you know that, that that's not really who you are? You're not that person. You can't do that. They're, they're, going to, they're going to, instead of speaking life into you, they're going to speak words that hold you back, that pull you back from obedience. And I'm telling you, when they do that, they're not true friends. But which, that leads me to this next point. Why, why don't we always listen to God? It's because we refuse to move when we value comfort over obedience. There's times in our life, right, that, that we would follow Jesus, but it means that we're going to have to sacrifice something in order to do it, and we value comfort over obedience, Verse 31, what happens next? Then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and he taught there in the synagogue every Sabbath day. There too, the people were amazed at his teaching, for he spoke with authority. It's amazing. Just last week, we were standing in Capernaum, and they've uncovered the ruins of the town, uh, and they've uncovered the, the, there was a synagogue built in the 4th century, but there's one corner of it where they've dug down and you see the remnants of the first century synagogue. It's a place where Jesus was teaching. 
and it was right there, right? That, does that just blow your mind to, to think that we still see the places where he actually walked and taught? And from Nazareth over to Capernaum, there's Mount Arbel. There's this mountain pass that the old ancient road went right under. And so you could actually see as you're coming around, you would open up into uh, the, the Sea of Galilee. And this is where 85% of the ministry of Jesus happened in the area around Capernaum. But we go back to we can't stay the same when God is calling us to change. I don't know if any of you have ever done the, the study Experiencing God with Henry Blackaby. It's an old Bible study. Um, there's a quote in it that I want to share. And this has is, this is st stood out in my mind year after year. He says, once you come to believe God, you demonstrate your faith by what you do. Some action is required. You cannot continue life as usual or stay where you are and go with God at the same time. To go from your ways and your thoughts and your purposes to God's will always requires a major adjustment. God may require adjustments in your circumstances, in your relationships, in your thinking, in your commitments, in your actions, your beliefs. But once you have made the necessary adjustments, you can follow God in obedience. Keep in mind the God who calls you is also the one who will enable you to do his will. And I was just thinking about that. Many of us want God to speak to us and give us an assignment. God, tell me what to do, but we're not interested in making the adjustments to do what he has called us to do. Blackaby went on to say, following Jesus, oftentimes it leads us to this crisis of belief where we come to the realization that we either, either take him at his word and we step forward in faith and obedience or we shrink back and we stay comfortable. Once we have decided to step forward in faith to follow Jesus and his plan, we will be asked to make ma some major adjustments in our lives that will lead to greater confidence in him. And this is when our faith becomes very practical. How many people are stuck in the area of comfort instead of really making their faith practical? Instead of trusting and being obedient to what God has called them to do, we would rather stay with the comfortable. Jesus had a choice to make. Would he stay, right? Would he stay where he was comfortable? Uh, let me show the map again up here. I want to show. Would he stay in Nazareth where there was just 400 people, where everybody knew everyone? Or would he go to Capernaum, which was a city of thousands, on a major trade route. This was a place, right? A place of trade, a, a, a place of, it was on the Sea of Galilee, a major fishing village as well. This is where all the boats were. This is where all the people were. This is where all the trade. This is where, right, he met the fisherman, Andrew, who went and told his brother Peter, come, you've got to check out this guy. This is where he got James and John and said, hey, come, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. This is where he ran into Matthew, Levi, Matthew, the, the tax collector, and, and said, would you come and follow me? This is the place where everything changed. And it was, this is, this, he went from the, the, the backwoods Nazareth to the hustle and bustle of the city in Capernaum. This was a huge change. This was leaving his family behind, leaving his friends behind, going to a place, right, where it was not comfortable anymore. 
And, and so Capernaum, this was this is, you think about, this is where he did all the miracles. He healed a man with an unclean spirit. He heals Peter's mother, his mother-in-law. He heals a leper. He heals the paralytic that's lowered through the roof here. He feeds the 5,000. He walks on water. He calms the storm. He gives the sermon on the mount here, right? This is where, again, 85% of his ministry occurs, not in his hometown where the people rejected him, but in Capernaum. And so we have a choice to make. Are we going to stay where we're comfortable? Are we going to do what we know and are familiar with? Or are we going to choose obedience to God? I don't know what it is in your life. Maybe he's calling you to do something big. Maybe it's just something small. Maybe it's as simple as God is calling you to step up and start volunteering in a new way. Maybe he's calling you to leave your job. Maybe he's calling you to, to move to a new city. Maybe he's calling you to go into full-time Christian ministry or to be a missionary. I don't know what he's speaking to you, but we have a choice to make. Are we going to be comfortable or are we going to be obedient? For me, I know leaving my job uh, 15 years ago now, 15 and a half years ago, that was a tough choice, right? Do I stay where I have a good job making good money and, and, and enjoying it and liking it? Uh, or do I step out and pastor a church that I really wasn't planning on? I thought I'd be in youth ministry. I didn't think I'd be a pastor of the church. I didn't really want to be a pastor of the church. I didn't really like people that much. You know, I mean. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm here 15 years later, so I guess it worked out. I don't know. But, you know, you think about that. I mean, this, those are the moments that define your life. Are you going to? Are you going to listen to God or are you going to choose your comfort and the familiar? Uh, we've, we've got, life is full of all of these little choices. And each time we've got to say, God, what are you speaking to me? What are you leading me to do? What, 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 are you, what, are you, what do you want me to do? What is your will for my life? And as we draw close to him. And we choose little steps of obedience over and over again. He, he drastically changes the course of your life. And I think sometimes we, we, we just say, well, God, we'll follow you. We'll do what you want me to do if you make it easy. God's not about making it easy. God doesn't, he's, his, the, the role of God in your life is not to smooth out your path and make everything a smooth path. All right. His goal is to form you and shape you in the image of his son, Jesus. And what happened to Jesus? He was rejected. What happened to Jesus? He was constantly on the move. What happened to Jesus, right? He was beaten. He was tortured. He, he was put on the cross for, for, for us. This is, we're, we're being shaped to be like him. It means we're going to suffer. It means that life is not going to be easy. It means that there are times when we don't know what's going to happen next, but if we trust God, he's going to be faithful to get us through it. And so we all have this choice to make. When God starts working in our life, do we choose the comfortable or do we step out in faith and obedience? And all this time while Jesus is doing these miracles, is working with the disciples, in their mind, they're, they're having to figure out, okay, who is Jesus? And so in fact, it's during this time that he takes them on a little retreat. He takes them to a, a place called Caesarea Philippi. 
It's about 100, uh, almost 100 miles away. I mean, this is, again, a, you, that, that surprised me being in Israel. It's like you read these places in the Bible, and you're like, one time he's in this city, and the next day he's over here, and you're like, you know, they, it must just be close by. No, they're not always close by. He went up to Caesarea Philippi, and it's here where he, I would say he took the disciples on a little retreat. And uh, it's a beautiful place. It reminds me a lot of here. And I actually got a video to, to show you about where they went. So we're here at Caesarea Philippi. And I don't know if you can hear the water coming behind us. There's springs that come out of the ground here. Um, in Mark chapter 8, we read about Jesus bringing his disciples here. And this is a pretty good ways from the area of Capernaum and, and the Sea of Galilee. It's about an hour drive. So I think this is a multiple days journey here. And this is a site of pagan worship, a site where they had a temple for the god Pan in Greek mythology. Um, it's a place where they offered sacrifices in the caves behind us. And what's interesting here is this was the place where Jesus brought his disciples and asked Peter specifically the question, oh, who do people say that I am? Uh, and he was getting at a question that we all wrestle with. Who do we say that Jesus really is? And for Peter, he was quick to answer, you are the Christ, you are the Christ. And Jesus told him upon this rock, this, uh, I will build my church. Now, if you look behind me, you'll see a massive rock wall here. And uh, it, it's interesting to look at this and to imagine Jesus gathering his disciples. And since this was a, 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 a spring uh, here, that uh, one that eventually feeds into the Jordan River, uh, this was a place that was well known in the ancient world. And this is where Jesus brought his disciples. It's out of the way. It's a place of pagan worship. It's a place where he, he questioned them and, and they had to come up with an answer. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? That's a question we need to wrestle with in our lives today. Now, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I hope you would say he's the Lord of your life. But we need to do more than just talk about it. We need to live it out. We need to prove it by the way we live. And so my, my challenge to you is, are you growing in your understanding of who Jesus is in your life? Are you growing in your understanding of how he's the, really the, the, the God of all creation? This place is beautiful. It's amazing to see. You see the people gathered around looking. And I think for me, just imagine, this is, this is where Jesus sat with his disciples, got out of the way, out of the, the busyness of life. It was almost like a retreat with his disciples to, to really get down to the important questions of life. And so who do you say that Jesus is? is. Kind of brings me to my last point this morning. There's a change we all must make when we recognize the true identity of Jesus Christ. So I feel like so many Christians are just kind of coasting it out, afraid to make a commitment, afraid to, to make a change, afraid to do what God is calling them to do. And Jesus kind of, I think he was recognizing this in his disciples and that's where he took them to this place. It's interesting that cave uh, where they made sacrifices to, the, to the, the, that God, the, the pagan God there, that was known as the gate of hell, right? That was a portal to the underworld for in Greek mythology and Roman mythology there. And so that's the place he takes them to. And he says, this is the gates of hell. 
that you're looking at, they're not going to prevail against the church. If you get serious and you know who I am, if you, if you acknowledge who I am, then there is nothing on this earth that can stop what the church, what the will of God is going to do. In Matthew 16, we read this. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any other human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, right? Uh, and upon this rock, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. So why did Jesus ask, who do you say that I am? I think he, 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 he knew the answer in advance. He knew what was on their hearts, but he was bringing them to that point of decision. Because once they verbalized it, once they said it, then they couldn't backtrack from it. Right? Then it's like, okay, once they've acknowledged you really are the Messiah, you really are the one that we've been waiting on, then he knew from that point forward it was going to change every single aspect of their life. And, and I think we're at that same place today for each one of us. Now, being at Israel, I, I told the group we were with this last time, I, I preached a message last Sunday morning um, on the banks of the Jordan River. It was awesome. Just to sit there on the banks of the Jordan River. And then we had a, a baptism service. And uh, I was able to baptize several in our group. And then I got to baptize a couple of people. I don't even know who they were. It was awesome. They couldn't speak English, but we were, I was baptized and they just came forward. I'm like, okay, anybody else? Let's keep going. All right. That was church last week. Okay. So it was awesome. But when you're there in Israel, you're there in the Holy Land. You're faced with, I mean, it, it, for me, it gives me assurance of what I believe. When you read in 1 John 5, 13, that I write these words to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's what I, when I'm there, I'm like, man, this really existed. These places are really there. This is really where Jesus walked. This is really where he taught. This is really where he healed. The stuff in scripture you see, this is the mountain where Elijah was. This is where this battle happened. This is where, and you're just looking around everywhere you look and like, you see all of this take, taking place and you're faced with that decision. Who do you say that I am? The only logical conclusion for me is Jesus is who he says he is. He's the savior of the world. The Messiah that the world was waiting on. He's God in the flesh who has come to save his people from their sins. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of these images from the Old Testament come together in the person of Jesus. And we're faced with this choice. Who do we say that he is? My hope is that you've come to that point in your life. And if you have, I'm telling you, it's going to change everything about your life. If you want to walk with Jesus, it means that there's going to have to be change in your life. It means you cannot stay the same. And I'm telling you, living in the Bible Belt, I think sometimes it's like being in Nazareth. Jesus is so cultural that it's almost like he's, you know, it's almost like his hometown. Everybody's heard his name. Everybody thinks they know him. But like the Nazarenes, most people just think he's a good guy that has a lot of knowledge. But 
they, they rejected him. They forced him out. We learn later, he even the people in Capernaum even rejected him as well. When he says, woe to you, the people who are Capernaum and Bethsaida and Corazon, for if I had done the miracles that I had done here and other places, they would have believed, but you didn't. You see, we've got to come face to face with Jesus and say, who is he? Who is, do, you, do you know him? Is he your Lord and Savior? And so this morning, as we close out, that's my question to you. Do you know him? When Jesus announced his ministry, Mark 1, 15, he says, The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the gospel. Believe the good news. Believe that I am who, I says, who, who, I, who, who God says I am. Believe I am God in the flesh. This is what Jesus, he announces his ministry. In Nazareth, he, he stood up and opened the scroll and says, this, this scripture in Isaiah that's talking of the Messiah, this is fulfilled now in your presence. So do you know Jesus? In the book of Acts, um, we see Paul, he says, I've got one message. This is one message I just keep telling people for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. Can I just tell you, right, being a member of a church does not save you. What saves you? It's having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's believing he is who he says he is. It's trusting him for your salvation. Romans chapter 10 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, it's what Peter did. You are the Christ, right? And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So as we close today, this is where we're at. We're, as we start on this journey with Jesus, I want all of you to be at the same place where you've acknowledged Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so I'm going to give you that chance right now as we pray. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We, we're so thankful that we can learn from the, the holy land, the sites, the places, the images, the scenery, everything where Jesus walked and where he taught and where he lived and where he performed these miracles, Lord, I'm so thankful that I was blessed with an opportunity to see it for myself in person. But Lord, I could have all the knowledge about Jesus. I could have all the facts about Jesus. I could look at it from a historical perspective and I still could miss the most important thing that Jesus came to save me from my sin. So this morning, Lord, I I, my prayer is that every person in this room, every person watching online, every person that watches this sermon at a later date would come face to face with the, the truth. Who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am? And my, 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 my heartfelt prayer is that each person would be able to say, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one that has come to save us from our sins. And my prayer would be that we would then in turn repent of our sins, turn to God, and put our faith and trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone to save us. And so this morning, right now, wherever people are that are listening, right here in this building online, it's their opportunity to make a profession of faith, to say, Jesus, I believe in you, I trust you. 
So if you've never prayed this, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, you've never prayed out, you've never confessed it, you've never done this, right now is your opportunity. Would you just pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for Jesus that he came from... Uh, from the, 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 the glory of heaven, he came to this earth. He was born in Bethlehem, lived in Nazareth, and yet he came for me. He came to take my sin upon himself, to take all the punishment that I deserve. He died on my behalf. He went to the cross on my behalf. He was crucified for me. But yet, he conquered death. He conquered the grave. And three days later, he rose from the grave, victorious over sin, victorious over death. And because of that, we can now spend eternity with Jesus forever and ever. Lord, I, right now, I want, I want to confess I'm a sinner. I need saving. I, I need Jesus. I believe. I put my trust, my faith in him. So, Jesus, save me from my sin, Lord. Give me a new heart. Get, make me a new creation. Help me to, to follow you. Help me to walk with you from this point forward. Help me to, to understand this kingdom of God that we're, we're living in. Heavenly Father, I, I, when I put my faith, my trust in you, your word tells me that how I'm saved and that you've written these words in the in, in the in scripture to, so that we may know that we have eternal life. It's not something we have to question or be unsure about, but we can really know. And so this morning, Lord, my prayer is that each person would know. They would know. Lord, we just thank you. While every head is bowed, nobody looking up, nobody looking around. If you prayed that prayer this morning, would you just, would you just raise up your hand and say, Mike, would you pray for me this morning? I made that decision. I nailed it down. I made sure I, I, I'm going to be in heaven forever with Jesus. Anybody here? Online, you can let us know as well. Anybody? Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We're thankful that you can change our life. May we be faithful. May, be, may we be willing to, to step out in faith and be obedient to your calling on our life. It's in the name of Jesus we pray this morning. Amen.